Hey everybody, this is Adam, host of the podcast you're about to listen to. Don't skip this, it's not an ad, just drop it in to let you know that we had a whole slew of technical issues when we were recording this episode. You won't really be able to tell, the sound quality is fine and all that, it's just that in some spots the recording was interrupted, which sort of knocked us off course a few times, and because of that, when it was all said and done... A whole bunch of stuff that we talked about or planned to talk about didn't make it onto the recording. So, instead of leaving things the way they were, every once in a while, I'm going to jump back in to add some extra detail and information to what we're talking about. You'll know that's about to happen when you hear this noise. That's right. It's the sound you hear when the purge starts. Also, I know I said this isn't an ad, and it's not, but I would just like to remind you that I'm recording a live episode of the Unpopular Opinion podcast Sunday, August 28th, in New York City. Go to unpops.co slash nyc for tickets. And thanks! We love you. Let's get to the show. Everybody, welcome to Pretty Scary. Pretty Scary Boo. You did it. I did do it. I'm getting the hang of this this thing. You really are. Hey, I'm Adam Todd Brown. Who are you? I'm Cindy Aravina. Of course. We're your hosts. You know that. You know both of us. Both of us simultaneously as your hosts. You heard it right there in the intro. Don't be stupid. (laughs) Don't be stupid. You know who we are. They love being stupid. Just kidding. I love you guys. You're all very smart. Probably a lot smarter than me. We'll find out today. I mean, they're smarter than I am because they (laughs) subscribe to the Pretty Scary Podcast, which I do not. I host it. I'm not going to fucking listen to it, too. You crazy? No, thanks. I listen to the ones that I'm not on. I listen to the ones with Carrie. They're good. Oh, They're very good. I'm a fan. Oh, yeah. I would would never listen to a podcast I'm not on. You kidding me? (laughs) I mean, not on purpose, but... It happens in the car sometimes. I heard a rap battle on a podcast that my wife listens to in the car the other day, and it was the worst thing. It was about economics. Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah, it was was corny as hell. Yeah, but we're not corny as hell. We're awesome. Yeah, we're really cool. We're like those cool kids that sit at the cool table that you would never think to ask to sit at, but we would let you. Maybe we would let you. We're actually very desperate and lonely inside, like any other comedian. But here we are. What? What's <laughs> happening? Cindy, it's summertime. You know what that means. It's time to hit the lake. You yeah. A, are you a lake person? Um, I've, I've dipped into a lake or two in my time. Um, I didn't grow up going to any particular lakes. I've been in some here and there. Oh, I went into um, Lake Michigan last summer when I visited, visited Chicago. I did not know you could go into that lake, but it's, it's a wonderful lake to swim in. I enjoyed myself. Yeah, I feel like Lake Michigan barely counts. That should be called the Chicago Ocean. Like it's just it truly is. It's so huge. Like that's that's barely like it's it's too much lake. Like it's it's so much. There should be another word for it. 
But yeah, I grew up in the Midwest and it's a very outdoorsy part of the country, but I am not a very outdoorsy person. Like I remember one time going to a lake and camping with my family and it's because uh-huh. we were with some other family that did shit like that. Yeah, we were not a camping family either. That came along later in my life. And I, I don't really care for it too much. It, I don't like sleeping on the ground in a sleeping bag. It's not comfortable. No, no. I'm, to quote Jim Gaffigan, very indoorsy. Yeah, yeah, same. And I like, I like to visit with the outdoors, not to stay for extended periods of time. Yeah. I mean, there's lakes in California. I wouldn't mind, like, I've never been to Lake Tahoe. I would go to Lake Tahoe. Oh, I would love to go. Let's go to Lake Tahoe. Let's all, let's do an unpops outing <gasps> to Lake Tahoe. Let's do it. Guys, I mean, would you the, come? Like, not the kind <laughs> where the company pays for it. Like, everyone's going to have to pay for their <laughs> Everyone's got to pay their way, yeah. guys, all right? We're not that this kind a of, fun not that kind of network. This isn't fucking Gimlet Media. But. No, 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 no. Okay, so this first update is just kind of tangentially related, but it's still about lakes, so it works. I've made it pretty clear on this podcast, and anywhere else people will listen, that I categorically reject frolicking in the ocean. It is the outer space of Earth, and it belongs to the sea beasts. We are not wanted there. And you know what? I think I'd like to extend that to just any large body of water. Lakes included. I mean, we're talking about lakes that literally kill people on this episode, so of course they're included. But the other problem with large bodies of water is that they're haunted. And the reason for that is because they are absolutely filthy with dead bodies. That's a thing we joke about all the time, knowing damn well that it's absolutely true. And we're seeing just how true it is right now in Nevada. Because you see, the western United States is in the midst of a pretty intense drought. It's actually called a mega drought by science. One place where the impact of that drought is most visible is Lake Mead in Nevada. It's the largest man-made reservoir in the country. Millions of people rely on it for water. And its levels have fallen to an all-time low. And water levels are so low at Lake Mead, that way back in April, it had already fallen enough that one of the reservoir's original water intake valves, which had been in service since 1971, was exposed. In other words, it's not in service anymore because the water levels aren't high enough to reach it. And again, that was in April before summer temperatures even started. Fast forward to July of this year, a.k.a this week, as we're recording this, and water levels are still falling. And they're revealing something far worse than old-timey intake valves. As water levels have fallen at Lake Mead, three separate sets of human remains have been found so far. And in addition to adding so far, I should also add that the article we'll link to about this mentions that at least... Three sets of human remains have been found at Lake Mead since water levels started receding. Could be just so many that people have stopped reporting them. Who knows? The most recent was just a few days ago, July 25th. Those remains were found in the park's Swim Beach area in Boulder City, Nevada. 
I'm sure it's just called Swim Beach because it's like named after a guy named John Swim, but people don't actually swim there. There's dead bodies in it, I'm sure. The first set of human remains, though, were found on May 1st. They were found in a barrel, and the person inside was likely a murder victim who died from a gunshot wound sometime in the mid-70s to early 80s based on clothing and footwear they were found with. Another set of remains were found less than a week later in the Colville Bay area of Lake Mead, but there's no available information regarding what kind of shoes that body was wearing, so who knows how long they've been there. Unsurprisingly, there have also been a whole slew of sunken boats found down there, including a World War II-era landing craft that was found last month. We knew that was down there, right? I would hope. We just never bothered going to get it? Wasn't that important? I don't know. I don't know how crashes of World War II vessels work. As of the most recent measurement this week, Lake Mead's water level was at 1,040 feet, which is about 175 feet lower than what it was at in 2000 when it was last considered full. It's the lowest level on record since the reservoir was first filled in the 1930s. Here is a very comforting quote from Lieutenant Ray Spencer of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police. The lake has drained dramatically over the last 15 years. It's likely that we will find additional bodies that have been dumped in Lake Mead as the water level drops more. So that's pretty crazy. Enjoy boating on Lake Mead this summer, everybody. Anyway, let's get back to the episode. The reason I bring up lakes is because we're talking about them this week. We are talking about some lakes that, unlike most cool lakes, these lakes sometimes explode and kill people. This is some weird shit. I mean, it's insane. It's weird, but like there's a scientific explanation for it. But mm -hmm. still, if it happened to you, you would think you had been, I don't know, descended upon by angry spirits or something. Yeah. Yeah. I would think there was uh, magical fuckery afoot for sure. We're talking about the Lake Nyos disaster. That's N-Y-O-S. Lake Nyos is in Cameroon. Mm -hmm. Western Africa, to paint a picture. I had never heard of this. This is a huge disaster. Like any disaster involving human casualties is a disaster. But this is like mm -hmm. approaching 9-11 numbers. Like this is a yeah. lot of people who yeah. died in this. And I had not heard damn thing about it in my entire life. I was familiar with this only because I followed Geodosaurus on TikTok. She's amazing. Like, go follow her if you're into this kind of stuff. But she, every October, she does Spooky Lake Month, where every day of October, she goes over a spooky lake. So when I was reading all the research for this, I was like, wait, I know this story. And then I went on her TikTok and, uh, and she has a playlist. It's like Spooky Lake Month. Go watch it. And I was like, oh, yeah, this, this, this. So it was really cool to do a deep dive on this thing I was kind of familiar with already. I feel like this has to be the spookiest lake. Yeah, this one really stuck out to me just because of all the different natural things that are at play here. Like, we'll get into it, but like, we've got volcanoes, we've got underground pressures and carbon dioxide. It's gnarly. Yeah, it's really wild. This all happened August 21st, 1986 in the village of Lower Neos in Cameroon. You ever been? Is it Neos or Nios? <laughs> I should look that uh, up. Can you, it's can Nios. You it's Nios? Okay. Yeah, Nios. The Google computer lady told me. She said, Lake Nios. Okay. So, yeah. 
Village of Lower Nios in Cameroon. Ever been? Never. Never, ever. Not once? I would love to. It'd be freaking cool. I'm sure it is. I would like to go to Africa at some point. I'm sure it's awesome. Yeah. That's where life, that's where human life originated from. Yeah, there's that. There is. Yeah. There would be that to see. So yeah, Village of Lower Nios in Cameroon, from all indication, just a normal day, like any other day, things got different the next morning. That's when it was discovered that at some point during the night, around 1,700 people and 3,000 pets and livestock just all mysteriously died. And this is recent enough that there are very graphic color photos of this. Yes! Ooh! The pictures I all saw, I would describe as Bovine Jonestown. Damn, that's a uh, that's pretty spot on, you guys, if you haven't seen the photos. <laughs> it's just a bunch of dead cows laying all over the place. There's fortunately not a lot. Like, if you just Google it and hit the first image result, you're not going to see a bunch of dead bodies. You're just going to see dead animals, which remarkable display of restraint on the Internet's part, I would say. I know, I know. I appreciate it. And yeah, they just dropped dead. People, animals, thousands of them. And there were lots of rumors in the days immediately after. Government experiments, invisible weapons, atomic explosions. It's not mentioned, but I'm assuming aliens. Someone had to be like, <laughs> is this aliens? Yeah, so, someone did that and then someone else was like, shut up, idiot. And they were like, never mind. Yeah, yeah. But also, maybe aliens. You don't know. Maybe it was an alien ship that caused this natural disaster. Could be both. Why not both? But eventually, science intervened and discovered what killed all these people. And it was nearby Lake Nios, which that probably still sounded kind of fantastical to people because this lake, as it turns out, had a long history in African lore and mythology mm -hmm. of mysteriously killing people. Yeah. It was rumored to be haunted. They said it was infested with spirits and that those spirits would sometimes come out and kill people and animals. And it seems like, yeah, maybe it was. It just wasn't haunted. It was just killing people through natural means. Mm -hmm. I was reading one thing that said that this happens about every thousand years. So, I mean, humans have been alive for, what is it, like 200,000 years? So you have to think, if this is happening every thousand years, then of course the lore is going to be passed on like, oh yeah, we've been hearing this, these stories. And then it happens, you're like, oh shit, the ancestors were right. Keep passing this story down. Yeah. And I mean, at that point in history, spirits are going to be as good of an explanation as anything. Mm -hmm. It's not like the town shaman is going to come have a look and be like, no, that's CO2 gas trapped at the bottom <laughs> of the lake. It's a very natural thing. Let me explain. Like, you would have nothing else to attribute it to. Back then, you can't even attribute it to the government, probably. Like, there's no CIA even to blame it on. No internet. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> How did they even know? How do they even All find they out? All they had were spirits. Not the internet. That was their internet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, hey, let's talk about those myths for a second. There's actually a really interesting and well-researched resource for information about the myths and legends about Africa's exploding murder lakes. It's called Exploding Lakes in Myth and Reality. An African Case Study by Eugenia Shanklin. The problem is it's in an academic journal 
published by the Geological Society of London. And if you've ever had to deal with one of those for research purposes, you know what I'm going to say next. It's a little expensive. $35 for a 12-page article, unless you can log in through wherever you work or go to school. You don't need to tell me that in the comments. Calm down. For everyone else, $35 for a 12-page article. But on the bright side, you only get to access it for 24 hours. Or you can print it. For some reason, I was allowed to print it. Anyway, this paper does a deep, deep, deep dive into the history of the myths and legends of Africa's exploding lakes. Covers more than 80 years worth of the rumors that used to circulate about why these lakes were so deadly. One example, the bottoms of Lake Nyos, Lake Oku, and certain pools in the Kimbi River were said to provide glimpses of villages of the dead. There's another nearby lake that was said to be infested with snakes and insects, which, yeah, I assume they're all infested with snakes and insects. Another crater lake called Wum was said to be the final resting place of two sisters who signaled their presence with bubbles in the water, which is a very confusing way to signal your presence because lots of things are making bubbles in the water. Good way to get yourself confused for a fish, silly ghosts. There's also a story about a people whose leader was killed by his own sister in battle. And after he died, a lake formed over his body until eventually his spirit double, an elephant, came bursting out of the lake. Which, if you're just talking in symbolism, does kind of sound like what happened at Lake Nyos. There's also lots of stories of moving or disappearing lakes, like the lake that became annoyed after a woman threw her, quote, menstrual cloth, end quote, into it, polluting it and forcing it to move to a new location. Women, am I right? There's also the legend of a man who was displeased after his death because his funeral was not sufficiently lavish. So, you know, he punished people by making lakes explode over it. Men. Am I right? There's also stories about conflicts between rival groups that were decided by sending representatives from each group into one of these killer lakes and, you know, letting the lake decide who's right by killing the person who was in the wrong. The paper also goes into a little more detail about some of the possible explanations that arose after Lake Nyos exploded in 1986. There's three really popular ones. Mamiwata? Strange Europeans, and Allah's Will. That third one was rejected pretty quickly after no one could explain exactly what Allah was exacting revenge for by killing all of those people and animals. They hadn't really done anything to deserve it. So that explanation came and went pretty quick, according to this paper. Mamiwata involved a belief in a female demon who inhabits pools and other bodies of water and is always destructive when she emerges. And then there's the strange Europeans explanation. That's my favorite. In this version of events, heavy-set, menacing-looking Nordic or European motorcyclists were seen in the area either days or hours before the Nios explosion. And these motorcycle riders were operating on behalf of either the United States or Israel or both and were delivering bombs to Lake Nios before it exploded. Eugenia Shanklin mentions in her paper that when she suggested to the locals that it would be unlikely that the United States or Europe would use motorcycles to deliver bombs to a lake, they told her the motorcycles had a large parcel on them that wasn't necessarily a bomb, and then 
they changed the subject. Still, if you tell me the American government did it, guilty until proven innocent. But it seems like science has cleared them in this case. And again, this is a 12-page paper, so I can't run you through every suggested version of events that hope to explain the Lake Nyos disaster, but I'll link to the article if you want to read it for yourself. Now, let's get back to the pod! So, the thing about Lake Nyos, it's located along something called the Cameroon Volcanic Line. The CVL. That is a a (laughs) 950-mile-long chain of volcanoes and volcanic crater lakes that runs from the Gulf of Guinea into Cameroon in Nigeria. Which, so what? That's science. No one cares. That's just just where it is. It's a thing. It's there. (laughs) Write it down. Put it in your pocket. Doesn't not super important to this. No one's a hundred percent sure how this thing formed. At one point, we were all we were all one Pangea, and then mm-hmm. we started breaking apart. And South America and Africa, when they broke apart, they think maybe there was a third point where they broke apart, but it just didn't turn into a whole ocean. And yeah, that is how the Gulf of or the Cameroon volcanic line formed it is interesting that all this time later we're still like yeah i don't know i know i know even with the internet guys yeah (laughs) i think the internet is the answer for everything but it's kind of like it's kind of funny that when south america and africa broke up south america was like take the volcanoes with you and it was those things (laughs) are you sure babe yes i know you love them Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of volcanoes like they are. Yes, they are destructive. But like there is just something so mesmerizing about just watching lava come up to the surface and harden. Oh, my God. It gets me mesmerized. Yeah. Or watching it flow. Like, yes. There was another there was a volcanic eruption recently. Was it in Italy? I want to say Italy. Oh. It was somewhere that was not the United States. Uh huh. And this lava was just flowing so slow down this hill and you could just tell it was like if you lived in the path of it it was coming for you but it took like days and it eventually flowed into some body of water just amazing to watch it's the kind of thing that you know if you were to touch it it's gonna fuck you up but you kind of want to touch it anyway but also you know your fingers just gonna dissolve be dust yeah Yeah. like that just the shock from how hot touching it is might alone kill you I would think. Yes. But that's why we have slime though. Yeah. It's just not the same. I should it's be able to pick same. up lava and fucking ooh, look yeah, at it. Yeah. Make stuff with it. <laughs> yeah, like silly putty, but no. It's very dangerous. Sneeze it into your hands, be like, look, yeah. mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh mom, no. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So there's only one active volcano left in this chain. So that's cool, figuratively and literally. But also, there's a huge magma chamber around 50 miles below the Cameroon volcanic line. And that chamber is releasing huge amounts of gas all the time. Just like your mom, everyone listening. (laughs) Oh, 
<laughs> oh, we roasted the shit out of them. Everyone is so offended. Everyone turned off the pod. Oh, man, that's fine. They've listened this far. It counts. It <laughs> counts. Sorry. So eventually that gas flows into all of those crater lakes that also make up the Cameroon volcanic line. Lake Nios is just one of 30 or so of those crater lakes, but it's especially deep, more than 650 feet deep. And it's surrounded by really high cliffs. And in the climate of Cameroon, which is very tropical, the top layer of warm water forms kind of a cap or a cork that covers the entire lake. And when that happens, those gases that are flowing into this lake just sort of gather at the bottom. But Mm -hmm. they're mostly held in place by that warm layer of water on top. And for some reason, on the night of August 21st, 1986, that protective cap failed. And there's some speculation that it was either because of a small earthquake or a nearby rock slide that fell into the lake. Either way, residents reported hearing a rumbling noise of some sort. God, this sounds so cool. At that same time, (laughs) water shot hundreds of feet out of the lake And a white cloud collected over that water, eventually growing to 328 feet tall. And for jeopardy purposes, an explosion of gases trapped at the bottom of a lake is called a limnic eruption. Yeah. Basically, this lake was like a giant soda can that was being shooken up and then explosion, but on Earth. Right. But instead of it spewing something that's going to kill you, with bladder cancer in 25 years if you drink it every day. (laughs) This spewed something that kills you a whole lot faster. In this case, carbon dioxide. The cloud was mostly carbon dioxide. And because carbon dioxide is heavier than the air we breathe, once it shot up above that water spout, it hit the top of those cliffs and then started just falling and cascading down those cliffs and into the valleys around it. So that's just a 300-some foot tall cloud of carbon dioxide just traveling through villages, literally killing people. Like just it floats into your home, you breathe it in, you die. Because this is concentrated CO2. There's carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, but not in this amount. No, no. Normal levels I saw was like 0.004%. And this was anywhere from 6 to 15%. Right. So at the very least, it's going to knock you unconscious immediately. Mm -hmm. And if you keep breathing it in while you're unconscious, it's going to kill you. Or, I don't know, maybe if you're luckier, it'll kill you right away. (laughs) I don't know if you'd want to wake up in the middle of this. That's a good point. If you get exposed to like 10% and it's like the slippery slope of like, am I just going to go into a coma or am I going to just drop dead right now? Yeah, that's what happened to a lot of people. When people who got hit with a concentration that was 15% or higher, they just died immediately. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the people, because this was still mixing with oxygen, it was differing concentrations when it hit different villages. And there were some people who, when it hit them, it was closer to like six to 8%. So in some of those cases, they just like passed out and woke up three days later to find everyone around them dead, animal, family, everything. This thing traveled as far as 15 miles throughout so nuts the that area. Is, that's a lot of area that like, that's a good chunk of Los Angeles right there. Yeah. Reporters describe the scene as looking like the aftermath of a neutron bomb. How do they know what that I, looks like? Uh, a lot of neutron bombs question. going off these days? I don't know. 
not not a ton, not a ton. <laughs> I I wonder if they've done any studies on levels of brain damage that some of these survivors um, suffered, if if much at all, like the people that were able to like pass out for just thirty six hours. Yeah, it has to have had some serious impacts. Mm-hmm. There is an account out there of one of the survivors and I won't read his entire quote because it's, it's very long. It's devastating too. Yeah, it the, sucks. The, the whole quote. I mean, even the part I'm going to read is horrifying, but basically he's one of the people who got hit with this cloud in a way that it only incapacitated him for a while. And here's part of his quote. I could not speak. I became unconscious I could not open my mouth because then I smelled something terrible. I heard my daughter snoring in a terrible way, very abnormal. When crossing to my daughter's bed, I collapsed and fell. I was there till nine o'clock in the morning the next day until a friend of mine came and knocked at my door. My daughter was already dead. I went into my daughter's bed thinking that she was still sleeping. I slept there till 4.30 in the afternoon. I then managed to go over to my neighbor's houses. They were all dead. And the, the actual quote is much longer and yeah, even more harrowing. But that's the other thing. If you were a survivor, it's not like you were going to wake up and immediately have all your mental faculties about you. You also had breathed in a ton of carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be even more confused than a person waking up to something like that normally would be. Horrifying. Horrifying. Uh, absolutely. I'm assuming this change was a little less alarming for people, but also Lake Nios was now red after this happened. And it still kind of is. It's because Mm -hmm. the water at the bottom was really iron rich. And when it got shot to the top of the surface, the air oxidized it and turned it like immediately to deep red. So yeah, you wake up one morning, 1700 of your neighbors are dead. 3000 of your animals are dead. And the nearby lake has turned red. So yeah, I bet some people were like, is this God? Is this, yeah, what this is, is the apocalypse. That the water is red and everything is dead. Yeah, it sounds like an apocalypse. Yeah, I would think it was the end days. Fuck no. What's especially crazy is this had happened a couple years before this also. Mm-hmm. There is another lake called Lake Manoon, which is also in Cameroon. And two years prior, in 1984, the same thing happened, but it was a much less devastating scale. 37 people died. Still a tragedy, but compared to 1,700, it's obviously not quite as severe. And because the number of people who died was so much smaller, the investigation wasn't as intense. So the cause of this one wasn't known until Lake Nios happened a few years later. Before that, people assumed terrorism, which I I would think would be a valid explanation. Because once I got past like aliens, uh, (laughs) God, the devil, I mean, I'm going to be honest, American government first would be my, I would be like, was this the CIA? Yes. But then after that, I think terrorism would be one spot I would land. It made sense, for, especially for the climate, what this was during the Cold War. Yeah. Everyone was kind of on edge at that point. And in this case, the cloud from the eruption didn't make its way to the surrounding villages until sometime after 3 a.m. So the majority of the victims were asleep, which I think is what you want. Well, not really, because the thing about this with the gas being as heavy as it is, it stays so close to the ground If you can get to higher ground, you'll survive. Yeah, yeah. 
And that's like one of the, the people on the top of the truck. Yeah, that story's crazy. The mm-hmm. when the Lake Manoon disaster happens, some of the victims were these people that were riding in a truck. There were 12 people riding in this truck, and as the truck encountered this CO2 cloud, the engine got starved of oxygen, and an engine needs oxygen to work, so it stopped working. And then everyone in the truck gets out to investigate that, and then they were starved of oxygen and died immediately, but There were two people sitting on top of the truck and they survived because that's how heavy this cloud was. It was hugging the ground. So if you were just even high enough to be on top of a truck, you would survive. That's nuts. Imagine being in a bunk bed or something and you (laughs) survive. The survivor's guilt of that is like, wait, why why not me? (laughs) Can I just sleep on the top bunk this one time, please? Yes. Okay. You fight your brother for the top bunk. He's like, fine, take it, you ingrate. So, yeah, weird. Weird thing when this happens. Mm -hmm. It fortunately does not happen a lot. It's an incredibly rare phenomenon. In fact, there are really only three places where it might happen. Lake Manoon, Lake Nyos, and a third lake, Lake Kivu, which is on the border between Democratic Republic of Congo and Rwanda. So Mm -hmm. if you've recently sought asylum in the UK, maybe you'll see this lake soon. Oh, that's a deep reference. Look it up, everybody. The UK is deporting asylum seekers to Rwanda. What? They have set up a program where certain people seeking asylum in the UK are being sent to Rwanda instead, which is strange because for- Even if they're not from Rwanda? Yes, yes, yes. Rwanda has agreed to take them, which is crazy because before this, the UK was accepting asylum seekers from Rwanda. So there's that. Wow. Yeah. The real question is how many Ukrainian asylum seekers are going to get sent to Mm. Rwanda? I bet it will be none. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Although what an interesting sitcom that would be if it's just the Ukrainian asylum seekers who get sent to Rwanda. Twist! You get lakefront property on Lake Kivu. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing about Lake Kivu is it's on the opposite side of Africa as um, Lake Nyos. Yes. The reason that these three lakes in particular are prone to this, it's very science-y, but it just boils down to climate. When places that have actual seasons or just, you know, the temperature fluctuates a little... That layer of water at the top that is keeping everything trapped, those two layers like recycle and kind of switch Mm -hmm. places throughout the year. And that keeps that concentration of gas at the bottom from happening. What you need for a killer lake to form, which is what they call these, is a climate that's mostly stable. And in the parts of Africa where these lakes are at, the climate's just kind of hot. All the time. It's like right on the equator, pretty yeah. much. So it's it's always the same. Like I yeah. I don't know if they even have weather reports in this part of Africa because it's just gonna be tot, tot all yeah. the time. Groundhog's day for weather. And the reason the Great Lakes are not killer lakes is because they have the extreme temperature changes. So the CO2 gets dissolved just naturally over time and it's not this big sugar soda can effect the way it is in these African lakes. Right. So like the other two lakes, Lake Kivu has a history of killing people, and it's mostly in legend and lore. But also there was a report at one point that said it kills about eight people a year 
this way. And I think that has to do with it. There's like caves and things surrounding it where people can go in and fuck around and explore. And if you get in one of those at the wrong point when a crack has formed and CO2's shooting out bad times, that probably has a lot more to do with its size. So much bigger of a lake. That's one of the concerns. Lake Nyos is small. It's a little more than a mile long, under a mile wide, and less than 700 feet deep. Lake Kivu, 55 miles long, 30 miles across, and more than twice as deep. Huge. And so because of that, that concentration of gas at the bottom is going to be significantly larger and deadlier were it to Mm -hmm. result in a limnic eruption. Another complicating factor, there were about 14,000 people living in the vicinity of Lake Nyos when it erupted. There are more than 2 million people living in the vicinity of Lake Kivu today. Yeah. This is like a touristy lake. Like people swim in it because there's no crocodiles. There's no this crazy parasite that lives on snails, which is actually kind of rare. And what was the other thing that, oh, um, no hippos. Oh, yeah. So it doesn't have all the typical, like, dangerous things you find in a lot of African lakes and uh, bodies of water. So it's a really popular destination for people to have fun in. Yeah. And so obviously, if that thing were to erupt, that would be a catastrophe. Like, that that would kill probably hundreds of thousands of people almost immediately. So obviously, researchers have started trying to look into ways to stop this. And by started, I mean, back in the 80s, when this happened, they started looking into (laughs) it. They didn't just wait because they found out we were doing a pod about it. So various measures were considered after Lake Nyos. One, just maybe blow out the carbon dioxide with a bomb. That was deemed too dangerous. That had to be the United States idea, right? Yeah, of course. That like brought to you by the country that once wanted to detonate a nuclear weapon on the moon to show Russia what we were about. They also considered dumping in massive quantities of lime to neutralize the gas. That was deemed to be too expensive. Also, it seems like that would be an environmental catastrophe. I don't Yeah. Like I I guess I don't know why. I don't know enough enough about chemistry. Maybe it would be it fine. It seems but. like it would affect the ecosystem in a very uh, significant way from yeah. the very little I understand about any of this. I mean, I bet fish wouldn't love it. No. <laughs> they also considered digging tunnels in the lake bed to drain the gas water. And like I could have told you, that's way too expensive. That's crazy. Eventually, they settled on a slightly less complicated solution. Pipes. Pipes. Just run Big a, ass pipes. Just run a long ass pipe from down there in the water up to the surface and gradually release the gas so it disperses harmlessly in the air. Sure, there were some lily-livered researchers who were worried this might just cause an explosion and kill everybody. But if we let fear like that guide our decisions, Cindy, we never would have nuked Japan. Oh, so so true. Yeah. Oh, man. Because there was some concern that that was going to set the atmosphere on fire if we detonated a nuclear weapon. And we were like, eh, let's see what happens. Awful. We'll detonate a fire extinguisher after. It'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah, it's awful. It's terrible. I've I've heard of, like, Russia 
sending a hydrogen bomb into the ground to shut a god the, the the term escapes me but there was an underground like well basically that was shooting fire up from the ground and they were like we got to shut this thing so they sent a nuke down there to seal it nice yeah so it's not our first rendezvous with just shooting things up and into the earth yeah what could go wrong what could go wrong yeah, that was less than 100 years ago, so we'll see what, what time brings us with that one. Well, yeah, that's that's the thing about, like, New Mexico and Nevada. It's like that has to just be all irradiated land. All the nuclear weapons we detonated in those states in the 50s. Hell yeah. That's why there's so many fucking skinwalkers running around. <laughs> fucking deformed people. So they started with garden hose-sized pipes at first because, you know, they didn't want to kill anyone. They wanted to start small. Eventually, they started installing bigger pipes, and it worked. The gas started dissipating, but they also ran out of money. The government of Cameroon was interested in stopping this lake from exploding again in the future. They just were not interested in coming up with the $2 million that we said they needed to pay for it. And I say that because... Eventually, they were able to pay for it with $433,000 that they got, shockingly, from the United States Office of Foreign Disaster Assistance. Hmm. So it sounds like someone was trying to bilk the Cameroon government out of a little extra money. But also that one pipe, they needed more. They, they needed more yes. than just one. That one pipe worked. It started dissipating the gas, but they needed it to go faster. And they did eventually, in 2011 get two additional pipes installed. And in 2019, it was determined that the degassing had reached an essentially steady state and that a single one of the installed pipes would be able to self-sustain the degassing process into the future indefinitely, maintaining CO2 at safe levels without any need for external power, which is also interesting. But that's just Lake Nyos. Remember, Lake Kivu is like 55 of those. Because Lake Nyos is one <laughs> mile, Lake Kivu is 55 miles, and they have not come up with a similar solution for Lake Kivu yet. Yeah, and Kivu is on this thing called the East African Rift Valley. That's where the continent uh, is being slowly pulled apart by tectonic forces because Africa is on two tectonic plates. So it's like even harder to alleviate this pressure when there's so much more volcanic activity under the surface compared to Nios. Yeah, there is some good news, but it Lake Kivu is still pretty alarming. Like both yeah. these other two lakes, even if it happens again, we're still not talking about the kind of catastrophe that Lake Kivu would be. And there is some good news. There was a study, I think, in 2005 that said not only was Lake Kivu probably going to explode, but as every year passed, that chance became higher and higher. That was eventually kind of debunked. And yes, there's still a threat that it will blow up, but it doesn't get worse over time. It's just kind of staying steady. The theory got hardcore tested in 2021. Imagine being a scientist in this area and knowing that this is possible and then a fucking volcano goes off. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Bad times. It's a hard day at work. And that's exactly what happened. In 2021, a volcano called Niiragongo erupted just north of Lake Kivu. Big enough eruption that the lava flow killed 32 people, destroyed hundreds of homes, earthquakes followed, 
There was a second lava flow that went into the earth underneath the lake. Ooh, ooh. But <laughs> thankfully, no limnic eruption. Lake Kivu did not burst, which... That is fortunate. That's, that's a good sign that it didn't happen. Because it needs a disturbance like that to erupt. And you would think if anything was going to do it, it would probably be a whole damn volcano going off. But nope. And there is even more good news. Science has been able to actually turn that reserve of gas at the bottom of Lake Kivu into energy for residents. There's a company called Contour Global, which is a UK-based energy company. They launched a large-scale methane extraction project. Turns out a lot of gas down there is methane. That they run through a local entity called Kivu Watt that extracts, separates, and cleans the gases pulled from the lake and uses it to supply electricity to the local power grid. As of 2021, it supplies around 30% of the electricity consumed in Rwanda. So that's a good thing, but it's also something else to consider if this lake erupts. Because yeah. now also about 30% of Rwanda is going to be without electricity for a while, the foreseeable <laughs> future, if their electricity <laughs> is running off this stockpile of methane that just exploded into the sky. But also, if you're living close enough to the lake that it's supplying your electricity, you're probably going to die when that happens. Yeah, maybe you like to live on the edge. I don't know. They have put measures in place that you'll get some kind of early warning if this happens. Because, again, it's a heavy gas. It moves slow. You can get to higher ground. Yeah, it goes over a long period. The telltale signs are like a drought will start to be visible. The levels of the lake will go down. It'll turn a different color. Like there's a lot of warning signs for this. So people do kind of have a heads up and they know what to look for now. And also in the Lake Kivu area, they have apparently put a warning system of sorts in place where if you as a resident identify a new opening in the ground where CO2 could potentially be escaping from. You can notify someone and they, I don't know, come drop a nuke in it like Russia to fill that <laughs> hole in the ground. No idea what they do. But that they've been able to to make some good out of it with the energy. That's a positive thing. But one of the researchers they interviewed said that if it's just Kivawat pulling methane out of there, it's going to take centuries to get that gas out. That's how big Lake Damn. Kivu is. And the whole time there's going to be that threat that the wrong type of disturbance could just send that gas into the sky. Like, you would think with it being that much, that's going to have impacts that go beyond just Rwanda and the DRC. Like, that's going to have to have some global impacts, right? I don't know. Not, I mean, not a climatologist, <laughs> but all that fucking CO2 getting added into the environment at once. Oof. Can't, can't be good. Can't be, can't be good at all. That would probably affect several continents at the same time. Definitely Africa. I mean, I don't know if it being on this rift valley could cause Africa to like split into two. I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely alarming. It's a thing I didn't, I didn't know existed, but boy, does it be careful in the water, Rwanda and DRC. Yes. The refugees getting sent there. I'm going to have to look into that. That's very uh, It's a very controversial alarming. thing. There have been judges who've yeah. tried to shut it down. There have been protests. All right. 
Well, that last spot is where the recording cut off for good, which is actually kind of convenient because we had, in theory, reached the end of the podcast. All we had to do was those sweet, sweet plugs. And you know what? I'm going to do them. I already plugged the thing I really want to plug the most at the top of the show, which is the live Unpopular Opinion podcast I'm doing at Caveat NYC on August 28th. It's a Sunday. It's at 4 p.m. You can get tickets at unpops.co slash NYC. And also, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam Todd Brown, Todd with one D. Follow the show at Pretty Scary Boo on Twitter and Instagram. As for Cindy's plugs, oh my God, Cindy's here again. Crazy. Cindy, what do you have to plug? Yes, if you are in the LA area, please come to Kitty Pool on the first Friday of every month. Our next one is on Friday, July 1st. I think this will be about before that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, it's at the Clubhouse on Vermont Avenue, 10.30 p.m. at the Upstairs Stage. It's free. It's so much fun. It's a parody of Shark Tank. Love it. And then follow me on all my social medias at Cindy Aravina Jr. That's Jr. as in J-R. Oh, all right. That didn't sound anything like your plugs on the episode before this. Now let's get the hell out of here. Cindy, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. <laughs> <laughs>